Come on, North Central. Can somebody in the building make some noise for Jesus Christ this morning? If you love Jesus and you know it, can you just clap your hands a little bit? Lift your voice just a little bit. I believe as Christians, we have something to get excited about. We have a hope. We have grace that is found in our Savior, Jesus Christ, and that is something not to be taken lightly. There are people in this world who get excited over a lot of dumb things, but we have the greatest thing to get excited about. So one more time, make some noise for Jesus Christ. If you are thankful, if you are grateful for the grace that he has given you. Oh, yeah, we're starting off right this morning. Because I get excited about the grace that is found in Jesus, if I act up a little bit, if I get a little excited, if I turn up just a bit, just know that's me trying to give God the recognition that he deserves. Dr. Tennyson Thank you so much for that warm introduction. He is one of the most eloquent and engaging professors that this nation has to offer. I got to sit under his teaching of biblical studies um, at Voo Church for for a few days, and I was just blown away by all that he had to offer. Also, I need to communicate how thankful and grateful I, I am for President Scott Hagen. If you love President Hagen, make some noise. He's the absolute greatest. He's the best. And I was driving around town with him last night and around campus last night. And you all just have to know how much he loves you, how much he cares about you. You are always on his mind. He was telling me the vision that he has for this community of students, for this university. And it just just blows my mind to hear his heart that he has for you. He's proud to be your president, and you should be proud to have him here. Again, make some noise for President Hagen this morning. With all that being said, I do not want to delay what God wants to do in this time we have together any further. So if you would, open up your Bibles if you're old school, or if you're a college student, you can turn on your Bibles. And we're going to be in the book of Matthew in chapter 19. We're going to be reading a story of a time where Jesus challenges a young ruler. So Matthew chapter 19, verse 16, it says this. Just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which which ones, the young man inquired. Jesus replied, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered him, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away, sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly, I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible. But with God... All things are possible. Does anybody at North Central believe that this morning? That what may be impossible to do by yourself with the help of God, 
is not impossible. With the help of God, you can accomplish anything. With the help of God, you can do anything. This young ruler was wealthy and well-known. This young man had responsibility, authority, and power. This young ruler was someone from the outside who seemed to have it all and have it all together. But on the inside, there was something that was missing. There was something that he did not have and that he desperately needed. There was something that this young man lacked. And this lack sent him searching. This lack sent him questioning and asking. This lack sent him desiring for a security that would be found through his certainty. This lack brought him to the feet of Jesus asking asking the question, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? But Jesus asked him, have you been keeping all the rules? He said, I have been. I haven't killed anybody. That's always a good place to start. I haven't committed adultery with anyone. I haven't stolen anything. I haven't lied to anyone. I've always honored, respected, and obeyed my parents. I've always loved the people around me as I love myself. But yet there is still this void. There is still this gap. There is still something missing. There's this hunger. There's this need. There's this lack within me that I cannot seem to subdue, that I cannot seem to satisfy, that I cannot quiet, and that I cannot fulfill on my own. Please tell me the answer to this lack, teacher. Jesus said, do this. So all you have, give to the poor, then come, follow me. But the story goes on to say that the young man walked away sad, depressed, and defeated because he feared to lose what he had. A lot of times after reading this scripture, preachers like to um, hate on this young ruler because he's someone that um, missed their moments. He received the ultimate opportunity and he blew it. And because of this, this young ruler is often referred to as ignorant, as arrogant, as greedy, and as prideful. But NCU, if I can just be real with you this morning, this is not the vibe I'm getting from the story. Because if you pay attention to the details, this young man, he's been asking all the right questions. He's been proactively searching for the answers to these questions. And up to this point, he's been doing everything he believes to be true, everything he believes to be right, everything he believes to be obedient, honorable, and just. But when it is finally time for him to receive what it is that his heart has been desiring, he crumbled under the pressure because he feared to lose what he had. This is not an ignorance issue. This is not an arrogance issue. This is not a greed issue. This is not an issue of pride. This is an issue of fear. And because this is an issue of fear, I cannot blame or cast stones at this young ruler. Because I have fear. You have fear. We all have fear. We're all alike in at least this way. If I can just be real, there have been times in my life where I've allowed fear to get in between me and my happiness. There have been times in my life where I've allowed fear to get in between me and my experiences. There have even been times in my life where I've allowed my fear to get in between me and my freedom. You don't have to answer out loud or raise your hand, but I wonder if there's someone in this chapel this morning who feels right now as if they have a lack within them because they are too afraid to move past what they fear. 
You're here and you long for what you lack, but you're too afraid to lose what you have. I want everyone in the room, every, every professor, every student to write down the title of my sermon this morning. The title of my sermon is I Have a Response. I have a response. Look to the person you're sitting next to, whichever one you like more, and just tell them, I have a response. You guys enjoyed that way too much. You see, fear requires your response. Fear begs for your response. Fear will go as far as to dare you for your response. And how you respond to your fear is very important. Because depending on how you respond to your fear will determine whether or not you conquer your fear or whether your fear conquers you. I'm not sure if you're aware of this or not, but there are some psychological responses of fear. These two psychological responses, they are somewhat involuntary. They are spur of the moment. These psychological responses of fear are fights and flights. But the thing is, yeah, there are psychological responses of fear, but I also think flight and fight can be highly spiritual responses of fear. If you're familiar with flight and fight, then you're probably aware that Flight is the response out of the two that is kind of made fun of. Because those who avoid their problems, those who run away from uncomfortable situations, those who flee what they're afraid of can be viewed as cowards. But I also believe that flight can be a response of pure faith. It just depends in what direction you decide to run. I think if we're going to talk about fear this morning, we need to talk about the relationship between fear and faith. Is that all right with you all? Can we talk about it? Simply put, without fear, there would be no faith. In a world with no fear, there would be no reason for faith. See, faith is not the absence of fear. Faith is developed in the presence of fear. Faith is trusting God despite what I feel. Faith is trusting God despite what I see. Faith is trusting God despite what is around me, despite my circumstance, despite my problems, despite my situation, despite outside influences, despite my environment, despite who may have left me, despite who I still have with me, despite how much money I have in my bank account, despite what people are saying about me, despite what people think about me. Faith is trusting God despite what may come against me, despite those who want what, worse, who wants what is worse for me. Faith is trusting God despite it all, no matter what, no questions asked. Fear is not based, I mean, faith is not based on fear. Faith is based on who God is. And because God is the same in every situation, I can trust God in any situation. That's what faith is. That's what God calls us. It's trust. It's trust no matter what. We have to stop running from what we're afraid of. We have to stop fleeing from what we fear. We have to stop avoiding uncomfortable situations. Nor central. We have to start thinking about who it is we're running to. Because flight is only the correct response to fear when we choose to run towards Jesus. The Bible says that we are to take every thought captive, every anxious thought, every worrying thought, every fearful thought. I'm not sure if you're aware of this or not, but the Bible says a thing or two about fear. There are 365 different times in your Bible where God tells you to fear not. I'm not sure if you did that math or not, but that's a, a verse for every single day of your year. So on Monday, when you're a mess, 
Deuteronomy 31.8 tells you that God will never leave you nor forsake you. So do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. On Tuesday, when you're in tears, Romans 8.2.8 says, and we know that in all things, listen, not in some things, not in certain things, but in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. That's you and that's me. On Wednesday, when you're all up in your worry, Isaiah 43.1 says, Do not fear, for I, God, have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. God will not let any harm come to his children or to his possession. On Thursday, when the trouble was tougher than you thought, 1 John 4.18 says, Perfect love casts out all fear. So if you have the love of God surrounding you, if you have the love of God within you, no fear can grab a hold of you. On Friday when you're frightened, Psalm 18.2 says, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. So any fear that wants to get to you has to get through God first. On Saturday when you're sad, on Sunday when you're stressed, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, run with thoughts of faith to all the great things that God has for you. Who is it that you're running to? See, God's not giving you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of faith. It's time to run like it's time to run like you got some motivation. It's time to run like you got someone to run to. It's time to run like you got a father who will protect you. But there are those of you in here who would never run because you love to fight. Where are all my fighters at? Put up your sets for me. Let me see you. Where are you at? Where are you at? Oh, yeah, I see, I see this one right there. You float like a butterfly and sting like a bee. You hit them with the left, hit them with the right. You try to knock your fear out like it's fight night. That, that's you. She's the only one that got that reference. That's you. That's who you are. That's what you do. But the way you fight your fear worries me. The way you fight your fear scares me a little bit. Because I'm afraid the way you're choosing to fight your fear is doing you more damage than good. I'm afraid you are hurting yourself more than you're actually helping yourself. I think there may be those of you in this room today who've been fighting for their freedom for quite some time, but yet you feel more trapped than ever before. I'm speaking to anyone and everyone in this room who has been fighting their fear through their own alternative methods. Those who have taken a more holistic approach. I'm speaking to those of you who are trying to numb their pain through drinking until you can no longer feel anything. I'm speaking to those of you in here who are getting high on a daily basis because of how depressing your situation is when you're sober. I'm speaking to anyone and everyone in this room who is fighting their fear through their own alternative methods. Please hear me out. I'm not judging you. I'm not condemning you. I just want what's best for you. Because right now, how you're choosing to fight your fear may be pleasing in the moment, but ultimately does not really work. It may temporarily feel good, but long term does not work good. Because when you're done fighting how you've been fighting, you end up feeling just as broken, just as hurting, just as much in suffering as when you started. 
only contributing to the true source of your hurts, pain, and suffering. This young ruler we're talking about this morning had his own ways of fighting his fear. He had position, power, and possession that brought him momentary happiness, but yet always let them aware of what he lacked. This is why he asked Jesus, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? He thought getting something else would solve his problem. He thought getting something else would bring him a sense of security. But in verse 17, Jesus said, he asked him in, in response, he said, Why do you ask me what is good? Don't you know there is only one who is good? Jesus was trying to tell him, your concept of good is all screwed up. Your concept of good is all messed up. Good is not a thing. Good is not an object. Good is not a possession. Good is not a sensation. Good is not a feeling. Good is not a place. Good is a person. Good is me. Good is God. Good is my Father. Somebody here is not getting it. Jesus is trying to tell him, your solution will never truly satisfy because what works is what is good. And what's good is me. What is good is a relationship with me. I'm, I am what works. A relationship with me, that is what works. I can satisfy. I can provide a solution. A relationship with my Father, that can fix it. A relationship with the Holy Spirit, the power that he provides, that can be the solve to your problem. Anything less will not cut it. Anything short will not do the trick. I am the only thing that will work. That's it. I'm the only thing. Your own ways of fighting will never do you any good. They'll just keep allowing the problem to grow, get bigger, fester, and multiply. But I have a solution. I, I, I have the antidote. I have the remedy. I, I have the cure. The Bible says that we should cast all our anxiety on God, all of our fear on God, all of our worries on God, and that God is a very present help in the time of trouble. That we should submit our request to God with praise and thanksgiving. Someone needs to hear this. I'm not talking to the person next to you. I'm talking to you. The solution to your problem starts with your praise. I'll say it again for the person that wasn't listening. Your solution to your problem starts with your praise. But it's crucial you understand this. God does not need your praise, but you need to praise God. God does not need your worship. Oh, but you need to worship God. God can make it without you, boo-boo, but you cannot make it without God. The reason why you need to worship God, the reason why you need to praise, why you need to praise God, even when things don't make sense, even when you don't feel like it, is because what praising God, what worshiping God does is, it puts God in the right place in your mind. 
Your praise will bring the proper perspective. When you put God on the forefront of your mind, it keeps God on the front lines of your battlefield, giving you the confidence and the boldness of knowing that whatever may come against you, God will help you conquer. When you make a great deal out of who God is, it makes a small deal out of your situation. When you make a giant deal out of who God is, it makes a small deal out of your circumstance. When you make a huge deal, a gigantic deal, a ginormous deal out of who God is, suddenly your fear will not seem to be that big of an issue anymore. Your praise, your prayer is your solution. I have a friend named Vitor Belfort. He's a former UFC champion. He's a skilled mixed martial artist. And a few years back, I was hanging out with Vitor in his backyard. And very randomly, Vitor asked me, he said, Charlie, do you want to learn how to throw a proper punch? I was like, yeah. I'd love to. That would be awesome. But I thought I knew how to throw a punch. I've never been in a fight in my life, but I thought I knew what I was doing. I knew there's a twisting motion. I knew I should be throwing my arms hard and fast. But Vitor let me know in his Brazilian accent, Charlie, there is so much more that goes into this. And in just a few moments, Vitor explained to me so much about what goes into the proper form of fighting that I had no idea about. He told me there is a way I can position my legs to generate power. He told me that my left hand, my less dominant hand, that would be the one I would throw my jab with. It was very important. And that my right arm, that would be the one that would generate power. That's the one I would knock people out with. It's called my hook. He told me there's a way I could hold up my arms in between punches to protect myself from the blows of the enemy. He told me all these things I had no idea about. I know you're required to be here to fulfill requirements to graduate. I know that, that you probably just think it was just another ordinary Wednesday. But I think God brought you here on purpose this morning. I don't think you're here by accident. I don't think you're here by coincidence. Maybe even without you knowing, God put things in place to get you here. To let you know that there is a proper way to fight your fear. Because you're here and you've been fighting. You've been throwing punches. You've been going for some time. And I'll give you credit. You've been fighting hard. You've been fighting for a long time. You've been giving all your efforts, all your energy. You've been spending all your resources. You've been doing everything you know how to do. But the issue is there's, there's no real organization. There's no method to your madness. There's no discipline to how you're choosing to fight your fear. You're just fighting how you know how. You're using things like pills, pornography. You're searching for approval through people, but sometimes you receive momentary happiness, momentary relief, but that goes away pretty quickly. And you go right back to feeling as if you're drowning, right back to feeling as if you're struggling, right back to feeling as if you can't make it another second. And you've been fighting for so long, you're starting to recognize that you're beginning to look more beat up than the thing that it is you're fighting. But North Central, I think God has brought me all the way from South Florida this morning to let you know there is a proper way to fight your fear. And this is what it looks like. Your jab is called prayer. And your hook is called praise. With prayer and praise. 
Prayer and praise. Prayer and praise. Prayer and praise. Prayer and praise. Prayer and praise. Prayer and praise. Prayer and praise. Prayer and praise. Prayer and praise. I'm not saying it's going to happen overnight. I'm not saying you're going to knock out your fear with one punch, but consistent, continual, and constant. Prayer and praise. Prayer and praise. Prayer and praise. Prayer and praise. It's effective because what your prayer and praise does is it makes God aware of your problems. It's you inviting God into your situation. It's saying, God, I cannot do this on my own. God, I need your help. God, I need your power. God, I need your resources. God, I need your ability because on my own I'm struggling, but God, I know that you have the strength that can supply me my victory. And with your prayer and praise, what it does is it turns your fight in from a 1v1 you versing whatever it is you're fighting to a 2v1. Your fear versus you and God. And with God on your side, who dare come against you? With God on your side, no weapon can be formed against you and prosper. With God on your side, with Jesus on your side, with the power of the Holy Spirit on your side, you can do all things through him who gives you strength. And with God on your side, your circumstance stands no chance. With God on your side, your situation is in trouble. With God on your side, your fear has something to fear. Because you are more than a conqueror. You are a force to be reckoned with. You are someone the enemy will want to run away from. But you got to fight God's way. Your way won't do it. You can't run from. You got to run to your father. Last thing. There's fight. There's flight. But Jesus told this young ruler to hold tight. He said, come, follow me. Give up what you have. Give it to the poor. And come, follow me. Jesus did not ask this young ruler to give up all that he has because Jesus hates possessions. That's not it at all. Jesus asked this young man to give up all that he had because Jesus wanted to have nothing to go back to. God wants to do amazing things through your life. But God cannot work with just part of you. God cannot work with a slice of you. God needs all of you. He did the most on the cross, but yet we still try to do the least. How unfair is that? (laughs) This young ruler was bold enough to ask Jesus, what can I have from you? So Jesus got bold right back at him and asked, how much of you can I have? And the same opportunity to respond that Jesus gave this young ruler, he is making available to you today to come follow him. If you continue to run from your fear, you'll just keep running. You can't outrun it on your own. If you continue to fight through your own forms of fighting, you will continue to struggle. If you continue to hold back, you will continue to lack. But I love what Jesus said to his disciples. What is impossible with man is possible with God. Stop running from your fear and run to your father. Stop fighting by yourself and call on the one who's been waiting on you for calling his name. Stop holding back so you may never lack again. More central, the question I want to challenge you with this morning is what do you fear to give up?
that is keeping you from leveling up? What is keeping you from your next level of blessing, your next level of opportunity, your next level of success and purpose? Because there's so much that God wants to do through you. There's so much that God wants to do in you. There's so much that God wants to do for you. But first, God needs all of you. Give up your guilt for grace. Give up your mess for mercy. Give up your trouble for truth. Give up your problems for peace. Give up your sin for a savior. How will you choose to respond to your fear? Dear Jesus, I pray for every student in this room that they would take this word and that they would apply it, that they would live it out, that they would start responding to fear correctly, that they would not run from their fear, but they would run to their father, that they would not fight through their own forms, God, but they would start fighting with prayer and praise, God, and that they would hold tight to your plans, that they would hold tight to your promise, God, because you are the only one who can satisfy We thank you for what your son Jesus did on the cross. And because of what he did on the cross, we're going to live our lives for you. Jesus, we love you. We praise you. And we pray this in the name of the Savior. Amen. Lord Central, thank you so much for having me this morning.